0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This
1: is why we're here. This is
0: why each one of us are here.
1: And now, here's your host.
0: Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichiesi. Joining me on the other side is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, championship weekend is in the books. The final four, the playoff is set. Heisman finalists announced Heisman trophy going to be announced this week. So much going on. Coaching changes, college football is literally been dominating the news in all facets over the last week or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at what happened this past weekend and it was the usual suspects in some ways, you know, doing the usual things, bringing up the massive points of interest. I mean, Georgia, Alabama, you know, outstanding game, didn't really know where it was going to go early on. It seemed like it was going to be a slugfest. But then you see, like, you know, teams that just kind of, I don't know, just brought it this weekend, right? I mean, you know, you look at what Pittsburgh did and you look at what, you know, Utah State did and, like, there's just uh, – the, the list goes on and on. Obviously, Michigan and, you know, it's just I, – I can't say enough about how great the football was this weekend and now with the Heisman set up and the Final Four set up, I mean it just looks to be an outstanding end to the regular season, outstanding end to a great year of college football, and in one year that I think we definitely you know desperately needed it. I think the NFL has been so unpredictable, which many may say is is fun, but for others, <laughs> for some of us, it was gut wrenching. So I mean I think college football kind of lived up to what it was supposed to be; those kind of you know token surprises that we needed to have. And I I think it's, you know, really kind of finishing out to be an epic season. So I'm excited. I cannot wait.
0: Yeah, I mean, great weekend of college football. I mean, it's now set for probably we are on a, you know, unless Michigan has something to say about it, we are probably on the fast track to a Alabama Georgia rematch in the national championship game. Uh, You know, what Alabama was able to do this weekend against that Georgia defense just speaks volumes about the level of talent that Alabama has, the coaching, getting them prepared. I mean, there's so much and we'll talk about individual players from that game uh, momentarily. But, you know, championship weekend, you know, lived up to the hype. We got Cincinnati, finally a team, you know getting an opportunity, not from one of the major conferences to be in the playoff, you know, and be represented. We got individual performances that stood out this past weekend. I mean, we got Oklahoma hiring, you know, Brett Venables, a defensive coordinator from Clemson. We got Notre Dame hiring from within and promoting Marcus Freeman to take over the reins there. After last weekend, we obviously talked about Brian Kelly heading to LSU and, you know, and Lincoln Riley heading to USC. So the coaching landscape has kind of started to quiet down a little bit now. Uh, Joe Brady being fired from Carolina in terms of the NFL, I think now is going to be the next domino. Does he go back to the college game? You know, does he take a head coaching job in college or does he kind of hook up and be an OC somewhere and then uses that to kind of catapult himself to the next big college job that's available down the line. So lots of news out there. Um, Any thoughts, Matt, on the coaching carousel, the Heisman finalists? Obviously, I I think it's Bryce Young's Heisman to lose. I know CJ Stroud had a great year and Hutchinson had a great year, but I I do really think it's Bryce Young's uh, to lose there, I think he's going to be the guy that that probably wins that. The coaching, anything before we get dig into individual players.
1: I mean, no, I I think he kind of covered it pretty well. But I mean, you know, I, I think when you look at the the landscape, you know, of coaches out there, and you know, the player, the coaches that ended up in different places. I mean, you can't help but be excited. Um, you know, you can't help but be excited for at least Oklahoma getting a respectful coach. I mean, Venables is still, you know, somebody who I think is, I don't want to say unproven, um, but he's still somebody who is still becoming, you know, still dipping his toe in the waters of being a head coach. I mean, he's still, you know, it's only like going to be his opportunity to see how he does big stage and not that he hasn't been on the big stage before, but I think this is going to be another stepping stone for him for sure. So I'm excited for that. I I do agree with you. I think uh, Joe Brady is absolutely going to be um, a a team is going to hunt him down when it comes to college football. So I'm shocked. I'm shocked about the whole situation with him, number one. And I think that for a team that is looking for a coach, I have every belief that that's going to be the guy that they're going to be going after. And, you know, on the, the Heisman side of things, I mean, yeah, I, I do think it's pretty much going to be Bryce Young's to lose. Um, and that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's, that's a really interesting thing to say. I mean, I, I think it's Bryce Young's to lose. Um, I do think Aiden Hutchinson is, is different. I think that's an interesting player to keep in a watch of. I think he's going to be a great player in the NFL, even though he may not win the Heisman. He's still going to be somebody I think that's interesting to keep track of. Um, but, at the end of the day I do think this is Bryce Young's to lose.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean let's be honest. If he would if Georgia would have won this weekend and Bryce Young would have had some struggles, I think it literally would have been completely up for grabs. And I would have said it can go CJ Stroud, it can go Bryce Young, it can go Kenny Pickett, it can go Hutchinson, but with Bryce Young leading Alabama to a victory over Georgia this past weekend, that was like the last moment that is kind of etched in the, you know, the You know, people who do the voting's minds and then you add that on to his gaudy stats this year. You know, maybe listen, if Ohio State would have beat Michigan two weekends ago and they would have, you know, been in the final four in the playoffs, I think maybe Stroud's candidacy would have been a little bit stronger. I don't think Hutchinson is very hard for a defensive player to win it. I think it's well-deserved that he's there, at least. So it's nice to see that he gets that that accolade. And while Kenny Pickett's seen his draft stock really rise to be a first-round pick, I just don't think he has enough of the statistical output, especially for a team that isn't in the top five or top ten. You know, So I, I think that it would have been Stroud versus Young Depending on how the last couple of weeks played out, but with Ohio State losing to Michigan, and then Young and Alabama beating Georgia, I think it's Bryce Young's to to win for sure. And going back, back, back to what you well, said about we gotta, it, oh yeah,
1: we got it, we got it. I just want to add this. I mean, I think though that you know Pickett's Hezy slide is something that's going to be a legend. <laughs> though, I mean, I, I'm just going to throw that into the the ballot box for Heisman Trophy winners that might go down as maybe somebody may forget who wins the Heisman this year, but I think the Hezzy slide will be legendary moving on.
0: Yeah. I mean, how many times are we going to see that during the, the up the, the months leading up to the draft and on draft weekend, we're going to see that play for sure. uh, After Kenny Pickett's been drafted by somebody in round one of the 2020 NFL draft and going back to Joe Brady, I see a scenario where if I'm Oklahoma, if I'm Brad Venables, you're a defensive minded guy. You're going to try to bring Oklahoma back to be that great defense that it was once upon a time, you know, when Bob Stoops was there before they started to have an elite level offense and a very ho hum defense. That might be the guy that you go all in. Because if you could bring Joe Brady there, yeah, okay, maybe he's not Lincoln Riley but he could be that level of creative play caller to pair with Venables for next year and Caleb Williams. And then I think if he has a good year, as I assume he would, it would kind of open the doors where he would have his choice sooner rather than later for a big time gig in college football. So maybe he jumps at an opportunity right off the bat, but I see a scenario where maybe he hooks up as an OC for another year and then uses that to a springboard down the line for even a bigger job. And I think Oklahoma is the place that is just screaming for you just hired a defensive minded head coach. What better way than bringing in a guy that you could say, here, you run the offense right now, I'm going to run the defense and be the CEO. And take that opportunity with the skill players Oklahoma has, the the young quarterback and Caleb Williams. To me, it sounds like a seems like it would be a perfect match if Joe Brady's looking to get back into the college landscape and maybe say OC for a year, and then look big picture to see what uh, you know what jobs available down the line. Look for the right fit rather than just take an opportunity that might you know come about right now.
1: Yeah, and I think to your point they got to do something to keep Caleb Williams interested, right? I mean, Caleb Williams can't leave that program. No. I mean, if I'm, if I'm thinking I'm Brent Venables, I think, you know, priority number one is not only obviously doing what you need to do to install your version or flavor of football into that team, but you can't let Caleb Williams walk. You can't let him walk. So I think bringing in a guy like Brent Venables will do a lot for your recruiting on the offensive end and it'll get a lot more prospects of higher caliber offensive skill interested in your program. So I think that there's so many positives about bringing in a guy like Venables, not only for this year and for making sure that you can be competitive this year, but also for the future and the recruiting classes that follow, even if he leaves a year after this. You mean, it's, you mean Brady we're talking, right? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Brady. I apologize. So, I mean, even if you, even if he leaves, even if Brady leaves after a year, it doesn't really matter in the long run because I, I do think that early on with the first couple of recruiting classes, you got to keep Oklahoma flush with talent on the offensive side of the ball. You still have the luxury of having some prospects there, but you can't leave Caleb Williams leave. So, I think you know, bringing in Joe Brady will do a lot to keeping him there and also will keep prospects interested.
0: Yeah, I, I think it would be a home run higher. So we'll, we'll follow that closely. And I'm sure we'll hear something in, in the next week or two about Brady. And, and we'll uh, we'll definitely revisit it. So let's get into it. Not a lot of guys to talk about because there's limited games this weekend. Uh, we brought up Kenny Pickett before this past weekend, 20 of 33, 253, two touchdowns. Uh, obviously, we were joking about the slide. I I think what that play in particular does kind of illustrate is that he has some untapped athleticism. He's not going to be this big time runner, you know, at the next level, but similar to Zach Wilson last year, similar to Baker Mayfield, I think he has that level of athleticism that he can pick up yards on the ground if he needs to. You know, you can do some RPOs occasionally with him. But more than anything, he's got the athleticism to at least buy himself some time moving around the pocket, getting on the move. Maybe you want to move the launch point. We know these quarterbacks are coming to the league often around bad teams behind bad offensive lines. You want to be able to move the launch uh, point a little bit, get these guys, you know, on some bootlegs and some rollouts, get them away from the pressure. And I think Pickett has that athleticism to at least be an above average athlete to do some of that stuff and not just be a statue in the pocket. So I, I thought he illustrated that this past weekend, continues to elevate himself into the mix uh with Mac- Matt Corral and Malik Willis as probably the most probable three quarterbacks to go in round one of the 2022 NFL draft. Uh Desmond Ritter took care of business. We talked about Cincinnati, 11 of 1,790 yards and three touchdowns. I think the big thing to talk about when we talk about Ritter is, man, is there an opportunity for Desmond Ritter that if he performs, even, they don't have to win. No one thinks Cincinnati is going to beat Alabama in the playoff. But let's be honest. Alabama's defense is not the defense that we've seen over the last couple years. You can score on Alabama. You can put up points. Now, I don't think Cincinnati is going to be able to stop Alabama. But if Desmond Ritter goes out and balls in the playoff game, 300 400 total yards, 3 4 touchdowns. I'm not saying it's possible. It's probably improbable. But if he has a big game even in a loss, what that might do for his draft stock is take a guy that might is a day 2 caliber prospect and it could push him into the scenario where maybe in a big moment, playoff scenario and big underdog against Alabama against Nick Saban He performs well. It could be something that he rides that wave, rides that momentum to go even higher in the NFL draft than we think might be possible right now. Any quick thoughts, Matt, on Ritter, Pickett, or anything else at the quarterback scenario before we hit on a couple of the skill skill pass catchers and runners?
1: No, no, no. Actually, you took the words right out of my mouth on both of those players. So. I actually was going to kind of tether or bring this into some of the skill players, if you if you don't mind. No, go right. We're just going to go right into another Cincinnati player who could also see his stock rise tremendously, and that's Jerome Ford. Jerome Ford has been knocking on the door, and we've been talking about him all year. Um, we talked about where his pedigree was. We talked about him being a rather high prospect coming out of high school. He went into Alabama. And at Alabama, you know, he was buried behind, you know, a litany of great running backs. I mean, you're talking about players that are, you know, now performing at high levels in the NFL. And he decided to, you know, see the opportunity to transfer and he took it. And when he came out of high school, he was a very raw prospect at the running back position, but athleticism he certainly wasn't short on. And when he came into Cincinnati, you know, it looked like a very marginal type of, you know, move on, when it came down to the landscape of college football. But my, 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 did he absolutely explode this year. And in that game against Houston, I mean, he had 18 carries for 187 yards and two touchdowns. And th- and you would say, like, wow, that's that's a phenomenal game. And it is. But when you actually look at the rest of what he did this year, this is not his first multi-touchdown game. He's had several. I mean, he's had an outstanding, outstanding year. So I think, Paul, I think it goes right to a skill player that could really be knocking on the door as a result of playing Alabama, you know, because Alabama provides the brightest lights and the biggest stage for everybody. Jerome Ford, for sure. Is somebody that we really, really, really need to pay attention to because if he has another big game, there's no reason in this class at this particular position why he couldn't see his stock rise and go from really probably where as a talent right now, I do think he's probably in that, you know, fourth, fifth round, you know, as a talent, okay, with potential to be better than that. I mean, he has the type of performance he had again, and he has a total statistical output that he's had this year you could see him go early fourth and really be in the third round for sure. He, I don't think he's going to be a second round running back, but I could see him in the third round as a result of a solid game against Alabama, who historically gives runners fits. Yeah.
0: I mean, so I'm excited for him and, and just kind of a little bit of a preview and a foreshadow here at Saturday Sunday. We're going to, we're going to take either next week or the week after to do another little deep dive uh, show where we dig into two or three prospects and Jerome Ford, and running back Zach Charbonnet are two guys that are going to be in that deep dive episode and potentially a wide receiver as well. So I'm excited to kind of dig in a little bit deeper, do a full study on him, take my notes and and get him into the scouting notebook uh, with the players that we did the deep dive on earlier uh, in, in this year too. I haven't, I've been kind of waiting just to kind of see if there's anything else that stands out in the year before I add all those guys, you know, by the end of, of the month here in December. There'll be about seven or eight new uh, scouting reports added to the 2022 scouting notebook. And then obviously plenty of updates to the guys that are already in there as well. Uh, But yeah, Ford's going to have a big opportunity himself, just like Desmond Ritter. If we take this over to another running back, I know we talked off air. I know his stats weren't gaudy in James Cook, you know, 38 yards rushing, 28 yards receiving, but I'm telling you, the NFL is going to value him more than Zamir White. Matt and I have have kind of been banging the band, you know, banging the, the drum for him. I think he's gonna be a better NFL player than he was a college player in terms of production and statistics. I think he fits the modern day NFL running back who you can do a little bit of everything with. He's not gonna be a true starter or an early down guy, but he's gonna be a guy that is gonna be effective in the pass game get him in space. He can run a little bit between the tackles. I think James Cook's going to see his, you're going to start hearing his name a lot in the pre-draft process, I think is a guy that NFL teams are intrigued by. And it will be interesting to see if he, you know, I expect Georgia to beat Michigan. Does Cook make a big play or two to kind of help them there and then get a rematch against Alabama? You know, we'll, we'll see, but I, I think James Cook is a guy that, is not being talked about enough, but I know Matt, you and I have been fans of his because I do. I just think he fits what the NFL is now. Um, you know, so I'm intrigued to kind of see how his season
1: finishes up. Any, any thoughts on James cook? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to kind of piggyback off what you said, how do you not watch that George Alabama game and say, Oh, there's an NFL runner. I mean, how do you just not watch him and say, wow, that, that looks like a, a back that's ready for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, because did. I mean he just he just looks at Paul. I mean, listen, we can go into all the scouting vernacular, we can talk about problem solving, we can get all detailed and and listen, we'll 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 get into that, I'm sure, as the season on, you know, as the draft season continues to unfold. And we've talked about him already on here, but I just think that you watch that game and you watch both sides of the ball. And yes, Brian Robinson was injured. We understand that. And and I'm not saying that he's not a solid back. And yes, Trace Sanders is solid as well, and Zamir White can play as well. But in terms of the type of game, the type of offensive game, like you said, in the NFL, James Cook, it it screams, screams NFL running back.
0: Yeah, and listen, the analytics people aren't going to be fans of him because he hasn't put up gaudy stats or anything like that. You know, once upon a time, that was the same knock on Alvin Kamara. And I'm not going to sit here and say James Cook is the next Alvin Kamara, but there's stuff about his game that – intrigues me the same way Alvin Kamara t- intrigued me when he was at Tennessee. And I think just like Alvin Kamara, there was a lot of untapped potential that wasn't fully fulfilled in college. I think some of that's with James Cook as well. Some of it is his own doing some, maybe if it's George's doing, uh, I think we're going to see a guy that intrigues NFL teams. You're going to see his draft stock rise in the pre-draft months. If we spin this over to the wide receiver, let's start with the bad news. John Metchie. 97 yards, touchdown, obviously highly impactful player for Alabama. Was probably ticketed for the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. Tears his ACL, season's over, draft stock now very much up in the air because you, for the most part, an NFL team that drafts him, you're basically saying his rookie year is almost a washout. I know we see guys come back in 10, 12 months, but I don't think any NFL team is going to draft him with the idea that he's going to be an impact in any way in his rookie year. So basically you're, you're washing away his rookie season. I don't know. While I think he's a very talented player, there's a lot of talented wide receivers in this draft class. I think this probably costs him round one. I just don't see a scenario when there's so many talented wide receivers how an NFL team is not going to be able to work him out, not be able to see him run. It's, they'll have news on how the surgery went and how the, the healing is going, because I'm sure he'll get the ACL surgery. If he hasn't gotten it already, I'm sure he's going to get it within the next 7 to 10 days or whatever. So they'll, they'll have a lot of reports on him prior to you know the NFL draft. But I just don't see a scenario, even with how quickly guys are recovering, where an NFL team, maybe they think the second half of the season maybe is a possibility. But even so, I'm not sure. He was already a guy who wasn't going to be a top 10 or top 15. If he was going to go in round one, he was going to go somewhere in that like 18 to 32 range. I don't see how this doesn't push him out of round one, which really is unfortunate for the kid. Uh so so that kind of, you know, is, the, is the, the downer news at the wide receiver position. On the flip side, how encouraging was it to see George Pickens on the field? Did not expect to see him this year because he's recovering from, the, he was recovering from the torn ACL. Played the last two weeks. We didn't talk about it last week, but, you know, amazing that he's out there. And now he gets an opportunity, maybe two games in the playoffs, to kind of put a little bit of film out there to maybe ease the concerns of NFL teams about his injury, if he chooses to declare or not. So I thought it was really interesting to see Pickens out there and kind of see, you know, what that does maybe for his draft stock that he was able to get back and then burying the lead in terms of production. We did a deep dive about a month ago on Jamison Williams, seven catches, 184 yards and two touchdowns against Georgia now goes into the playoff as the clear alpha receiver for Alabama who might be on the trajectory of winning another national championship where you got to believe if they do, Jamison Williams is going to put up gaudy stats in that playoff. You're going to see him now be in the mix right after the Ohio State receivers, Traylon Burks, Drake London. I think now Jamison Williams catapults himself into the first five wide receivers selected and probably in round one of the NFL draft.
1: I'm going to tell you something about Jamison Williams. He was not a player that I was in awe of. I mean, when we did that deep dive and we talked about him, you know, it, it wasn't a meh. It was more of like solid player, excellent player, but you know, I, I'm not entirely sure. I see what all the hype is about. I'm, I'm going to tell you the more I've watched him since that show, and the opportunities that I've seen him actually be out on the field, the types of opportunities he's gotten in the open field, the more and more impressed I am with his skill set overall. Now, I I still think I like Menchie a little bit more. I do like Drake London a little bit more. Um, But Jamison Williams, for sure, is a player who has changed my mind more towards the, yeah, I see where people are getting a little bit excited about how special he can be. And I think that that game was an absolute, you know, bugle call to everybody to just stand up and take notice of what he did because a lot of what he did, Paul, it not necessarily was, you know, making all outstanding catches, although there were a couple of great plays. What I thought was really interesting about it was, you know, he did a lot of great things. Like, I mean, I mean, how great was it to see him, as that gunner get in that open field on the on the um, it was on the punt and he got back and he made that tackle that one handed one arm tackle and he literally did that on special teams to NFL make those coaches or
0: spe- NFL coaches are going to love that even if they're, they're not gonna use, they're not going to use him on special teams in the NFL they're just not if they draft him in the first round but just to see
1: the competitive nature that yeah. he has coaches yeah. are going to fall in love with that. Yeah, that that that's a that's a that's a that's a put me in now coach play because it, it's that type of competitiveness as you kind of stated that that's something that you need you need to want to be the best on every play and you want to see that from your players and that's just one of those moments where I was like out of everything that he did I was like man that was a hell of a special teams play that was something I left with and stuck with me and that's you know beside the fact that he over 180 yards um, but also as I was just kind of leaning towards of those yards, a lot of them too, some of them were on screens. I mean, short passes and he made things happen. That's where the NFL is, you know, throw short, run long. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure right now, you know, <laughs> probably on a hammock somewhere, you know, sipping a Mai Tai. Um, I'm sure that's what Hal Mummy is celebrating right now is what he wanted out of the air raid offense was throw short, run long. And we don't necessarily need to, put up, you know, these massive, massive, you know, vertical plays or anything like that. We could do that, but I think that, you know, more often than not, you're seeing a lot of those air raid philosophies, you know, really infused in the offenses that we see in the spread game. And I think Menchie and I do think Jamison Williams are the guys that you want in the open field with the ball in their hands. You know, what you remind me of a little bit, Paul, imagine if Paris Campbell was healthy. Yeah, I can see that. You know, he reminded me a little bit of that. You know, imagine if Paris Campbell never had the injuries that he was having coming out of Ohio State, going into Indianapolis. Paris Campbell was a hell of a player. People forget how good he was with the ball in his hands and what they did with him and how good he was in the open field. I'm not saying Jameson Williams isn't a better athlete. I'm just saying the way they move on the field, the types of ways they solve the problems, I see a little bit of that Paris Campbell in him.
0: Yeah. And listen, we've been saying here since the inception of Saturday, Sunday, it's the NFL now is a space game. It's it's a space game. And NFL teams want players that can play in space. That's it's just that simple. It's why they're going to like James, James Cook as a running back. And it's why they're going to like Jameson Williams as like an early pick wide receiver because it's a space game now. And yeah, you're right. Everybody uses some form of the spread, the air raid. Even teams that take vertical shots, they still do plenty of stuff close to the line of scrimmage in addition to that, because teams just know that running is kind of going by the wayside in the NFL for the most part, and they're using the short game as an extension of the run. It's just the way the NFL is right now, and Williams is the guy who's going to see his stock just continue to rise, to rise, to rise, and... I don't think he's going to go ahead of any of the Ohio state guys or, you know, Drake London, but he could be the fourth receiver. And listen, no one thought Henry Ruggs was going to go before Jerry Judy and, uh, CD lamb either. Right. So you, you never just know w- what the NFL is going to think about these guys. So it, it's going to be fun. Another guy, another two Alabama receivers probably taken in the top 50. Mechie probably still goes somewhere in round two. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, he could still even go higher because he, he was going round one probably before this injury. So I'm going to skip right over to the, the Debbie, you know, uh, slant report for this week because the only guy I had on it was Bryce Young. And we already talked about him when we were talking about the Heisman, right? What more is to, there to say about Bryce Young? Uh, I know we said we liked Caleb Williams, but I, I don't know how anybody going into this offseason. Could not have Bryce Young at the top of their QB rankings when we're talking Debbie, uh, when we're talking about draft eligible prospects down the line. You know, maybe one day Caleb Williams gets there. But what Bryce Young has done this year, what he did against that Georgia defense, he's put it all to rest now, right? He's put it all to rest. Uh, He should be the number one Debbie quarterback prospect on everybody's radar on everybody's list i don't even think it's really a debate right now uh do i think caleb williams can make it interesting yeah i do especially because i think he has a, a more running component to his game than a guy like bryce young uh but but right now it's just like the heismans bryce young's to lose i think the qb1 status in terms of underclassman quarterback is bryce young's to lose do do you disagree with that in any way matt
1: no no and I think I would I would absolutely look at this as an opportunity to buy Caleb Williams. And I mean that because I don't think you're going to get Bryce Young. To your point, I think he is the the clear number one quarterback. But Caleb Williams and all the craziness that was going on in Oklahoma, I bet you there's a lot of people out there that are still saying, now where is he going to be? And what's going to happen? And now it's a different coach. And it's never going to be the same again. Lincoln Riley's gone. And time to ditch this. Let's try to sell him. I would say this is the opportunity to still buy him because – I think that what we saw from him is still something to hold on to.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I agree 100%. You're not going to be able to buy Bryce Young. He's going to be the hardest commodity you know, from at the quarterback position, bar none. So Caleb Williams, like Matt said, if, if people are overreacting to Lincoln Riley leaving, I think now's the time maybe to scoop in and try to get him. So let's spin this right over to the NFL Rookie Report for this week. Uh, Zach Wilson. Probably, besides the game earlier in the year against Tennessee, probably his second best game of the year this past week, shown some shown some moments, right? We've been talking about how he didn't really put a lot of moments that you kind of wanted to see this past week, 226 yards, two touchdowns. But while it wasn't a perfect game, while it wasn't a great game, it was a solid game, and it was a game that he showed some capabilities to at least hopefully maybe that be the start of him finishing the year with some more positive signs going into the offseason. And then, you know, the jets hopefully build up the line around him and, and he has a chance next year to, to really succeed. Uh, it breaks my heart to say it, but right now, Trevor Lawrence looks broken. He looks broken. The Jaguars offense looks broken. He looks like a broken player right now. And, I don't think it means he's not going to be a good quarterback and it's going to be a major bust. I do think it could open up the window for a buy now. Like Matt was saying with Caleb Williams, I do think there are going to be people who have legitimate concerns about Trevor Lawrence just based on how bad this year went. So use it as an opportunity to buy, but, but understand what you're getting into right now is that he's going to have to overcome. He's, he's been Always the best on and on one of the best teams ever, right? High school, Pee-Wee, college. This we're gonna see what his mental makeup is now. We're gonna see what his fortitude is, and I think he's gonna rise to the occasion. But let's be honest; we've never had to see him do that, right? So, so we're gonna we're really gonna get into like the inner soul of, of Trevor Lawrence, you know, based on the off season and, and next year, because I'm sure next year is not gonna be that much better. It's gonna you you would think it's a little bit better for Jacksonville, but right now he looks broken. He does not look like the guy who was the all world, clear cut consensus number one quarterback, you know, prospect. You know, so it, it's just something that you know we talked about you know, Zach Wilson, not having a lot of moments. There's not a lot of moments on film for Trevor Lawrence this year either. They were more than there was for Zach Wilson, but they're pretty few and far between for Trevor Lawrence himself. And, and I think that has a lot to do with his surroundings and the coaching and the scheme, but man, I I didn't, I couldn't have drawn up a scenario this year that it would have went this sideways. And I thought they might've been a really bad team, But I thought he might have been like a guy that kind of just kept them in it, put up stats because they were constantly throwing and, you know, a lot of garbage time stats, but things to get you excited. Touchdown passes where, yeah, they were down 20, but whatever. Like he still showed that talent. We're not even seeing that. And we haven't seen it the whole year basically. So definitely, you know, has to come back from this. At the running back position, Javante Williams has his breakout game of the year. Uh, Melvin Gordon sat through to an injury. Uh, Javante Williams, over hundred yards, rushing 70 yards, receiving breakout game. You know, I, I know we talked about, it, I think last week, I think he's a Chris Carson plus type guy. I know some people who are even thinking he's a first round pick next year and redraft if Melvin Gordon's not there. I'm not ready to go there. I think more of a round two pick. Uh, but obviously talented player, uh, Matt, I know you loved him coming in last year. Uh, Elijah Mitchell. I think stock is soaring. I, I think Kyle Shanahan likes this guy. I think he's going to go into the offseason as the clear back. I'm usually the guy that's very leery about running, like James Robinson You know, last year. I was very leery about being all in on James Robinson. I have a different feel for Elijah Mitchell. I think Kyle Shanahan likes him. I think he doesn't want to invest another probably early pick in a running back. I think Elijah Mitchell is going to have every opportunity to be the guy there. I think he's just kind of pushed Trey Sermon to be never the starter there. I don't even know if Trey Sermon ever makes it a committee. I think Elijah Mitchell has a real opportunity over the next couple of years to be the guy in San Francisco, a remarkable turn of events considering he was picked like three rounds later than another running back in the same draft class. Uh, Elijah Moore continues to break out. This time it was nice to see him with Zach Wilson, six catches, 77 yards and a touchdown. I think there's, I think it's a very interesting debate going into the off season now, how you rank these rookie wide receivers I know Chase is at the top, but then between Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith and the glimpses we got from Kadarius Tony and what maybe his upside could be Elijah Moore and then rounding out Rashad Bateman, I still put the Alabama guys at two, three. And then I think Moore and Tony is very much a coin flip for me now because yeah, I, I love what I saw from Tony, but it was such a a small sample size and, and who knows if he's going to do anything down the stretch here. And Elijah Moore's kind of got the momentum going out in his favor, but I, I think it shows you how good of a strong class it is. And speaking of Jalen Waddle, cause I know we've been talking about him and this was an opportunity to me to watch him in its entirety live, watching that, that giants dolphins game this past weekend. It's amazing. This guy's going to catch like 110 passes. But they are just everything is short to the line of scrimmage. And yeah, get him the ball, you know, throw short, run long. I get it. And they're they're trying to get that out of Jalen Waddell. But it's amazing how little chances they take down the field. And I don't think it's because he can't win that way. I just think it's they are so conservative with their play calling. And I don't know if it's just what they want to be or limiting what they think Tua can and can't do. Uh, but but Jalen Waddle is just catching tons of passes near the line of scrimmage. So the the, the wide receivers are really interested in Amon Ross Brown. I know he had a lot of fans. You know, Matt and I were fans of his game in college, too. I said be leery about him being a fourth-round pick. He had his best game as a pro, 10 catches, 86 yards, caught the game-winning touchdown for the Lions to finally get a W on the board. Don't overreact to that. The Lions are going to make serious upgrades at the wide receiver position. I'd be surprised if Amon Ra is higher than third on the depth chart when next September rolls around. So just, again, don't let your bias from college on Amon Ra St. Brown overvalue him, even if he has a decent close to the year this year. They just have nothing else on that depth chart right now. Uh, So he's getting a lot of targets and opportunity. But be cautious about how high you might think his value is heading into the offseason. Matt, any thoughts on Lawrence, Wilson, Javante, Elijah, uh, the receivers? A lot of ways you can go there with those rookies. Kind of pick and choose a couple spots maybe you want to hit on.
1: I'll start right where you started at the end, and I'll talk a little bit about Amon Ron St. Brown. I was on air talking about Amon St. Brown as we went into that draft season, and I said as big of a fan as I was, and I was a huge fan, I mean massive fan of St. Brown. I felt like as his college football career unfolded, I became less and less enthusiastic about what I was seeing from him on the football field. I felt a lot about what he was doing was I I thought that it almost appeared. I don't want to say he lost a step. That's not a fair statement, but what I want to say is, is that the maturation process, the way in which he was solving problems from high school into college, I didn't see this expansive kind of, you know, expansion of his understanding of the game in terms of the perception and opportunities that were available for him. You know, that play speed that we talk about often didn't really seem to change at times. It seemed a little slower as he was leaving college. So, I mean, leaving college was not something that was this kind of seismic change in any way from what we saw in high school. In many ways, I felt for me that I was more impressed earlier coming out of high school and early in his career than I was towards the latter end of his career. But to that point, you know, change happens and development happens in a nonlinear fashion. And, and we could be seeing that maturation process occurring. And it's a lot harder to mature and find success when you're playing on a team that is, as downtrodden, you know, as the lions are, I mean, they really are a dumpster fire in many, many ways. And there's a lot of room there, especially on the receiving core, for improvement to occur. So we could see, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, build off of this season, but I think to Paul's point, I find it hard to believe he's going to be more than the wide receiver three there. I think that's where he's kind of in that role. Um, and, and that's that's fine. I think that makes him, you know, a solid, you know, wide receiver four or five for you on your fantasy team. I think he's a good guy to have. Um, certainly if you have him on dynasty, you're holding on to him. Um, Paul, I mean, to transition to other players, I mean, I think Elijah Moore is really a player that we saw um, in college. I did, you know, we did that whole discussion about him on our YouTube channel. We unraveled his skill and we went in depth about him. And Elijah Moore is a very, very nuanced route runner. And he showed that at Ole Miss, he showed that ability to manipulate within the Stems. And now, He's creating that space, at the NFL, it's translating and he's becoming somebody that, you know, anybody who's a quarterback for the New York Jets is going to depend on. And I think that that means for, for sure, he's a player that you want to hold on to. And if you could acquire him, I know you're going to pay an arm and a leg, but he's an interesting guy to kind of just knock on the door and make sure, you know, people are valuing him, him appropriately in my humble opinion, I would still put the two Alabama guys ahead of him. I would probably put Elijah Moore ahead of obviously Tony right now, just because how can you? You know, I, I feel very weary about what are they doing with Tony and what's happening. And I don't even know what to think about the Giants, to be honest with you. I could see at least Elijah Moore's clearly a part of the offensive game plan. And even though they are in like a crazy situation, at least I feel comfortable with that. So I'd probably put him a credit card's distance away from Tony you know, in terms of those rankings. And then of course, Rashad Bateman, you know, again, we talked about what you got to be weary of in Baltimore. Baltimore is a running team. I mean, we love the pass, but Baltimore is going to live and die on the ground when they need to. And I think that although they've been transitioning away from that this year, it's hard to deny that that's where they have their X factor where it comes to all their players' capabilities. And, I think to just kind of round this discussion off on another player, I Trevor Lawrence. Paul, we talked about it, man, poor ecosystem. You bring players into places where there's just too much change and flux. We can argue at length about Travis ET and not being there. And, and was there an impact, not an impact, but I mean, James Robinson is no terrible, you know, running back. It's not like he didn't have anybody running the football, you know, but in terms of the passing game, In terms of just being a a functional team, I mean, he has more interceptions than he has touchdowns right now. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can almost, I mean, like, I I mean, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound funny, but I almost feel like he probably cried one night. There must have been one night where he cried because I feel like there's, he's never faced this type of adversity. He really hasn't. And that's not to that's not to make a joke at his expense to make him you know to make me think that he's not a player we want. We I think he is that type of player. He can be outstanding, he can be, you know, a unicorn in terms of the ability. Same thing with Justin Fields, but man alive is it proven time and time again as teams draft high level players, if there is not a clear, cut, succinct way of instituting them into their offense. And not only that if you're not building off of the offense that they came from, I think you're you're running into a situation where it's a challenge. And Trevor Lawrence, I think, is a systemless quarterback. I do think he can play in any system. But you have to have other components of your team being functional, keeping you in the game while the player is developing in real time. That's what you need to do. That's what they did in Buffalo. We said it last time. Everybody should be looking at Buffalo and what they did With the way they developed Josh Allen, it should be a case study. Why was Josh Allen successful? He had his warts, man. He had his warts. The two quarterbacks we're discussing right now, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, they were considered supermodels compared to Josh Allen. They were considered gods compared to Josh Allen. You're telling me Josh Allen figured it out by himself that there was no... There was no anything going on around him. He just happened to go to the right trainers in the offseason and get better. Come on. They had a team ready for him. They had a good running game, a solid defense. They played within the the capacity of what he could do on the field. Now you go to a team like Jacksonville, and you're telling me you have a guy who can step off the bus immediately at 6'6", run, throw, make every throw in the book, And you have him, he's got nine touchdowns to ten interceptions. Well, the rest of his team is terrible. Okay, but it also sounds to me like you didn't have a freaking good plan for him either. Disaster.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and and I think it it really makes a really unique scenario in fantasy and dynasty this offseason is how much blind support love do we have for these rookie quarterbacks in the offseason? How much love and support do we have for Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance throw in the mix, right? Yeah. Now, I mean, at least we've seen some glimpses of Justin Fields, and we'll see if he gets back out there now with his injury. But, man, these guys were in most people's ranks in the 8 to 12 range before they ever took a snap in the NFL. When Jeff and I did our rankings last year before the season started in the summer, we both had Lawrence, Fields, and Lance all in the rankings somewhere between eight and 12 in our dynasty rankings. And now going into the off season, when I really sit down and revamp my dynasty rankings, do I show them blind support and love again?
1: Or only, do if you got Mac, say, only if you got Mac Jones at number eight now, because <laughs> we keep ignoring that guy, right?
0: Yeah. Or do I have to start saying, you know what? I got to push these guys way down and start taking a wait and see approach. Why, why am I doing that? Why is it okay for me to do that with Zach Wilson and other guys and originally Mac Jones, but not do it with these guys. Now, again, you can't, you have to bait. You have to start looking at things from the now. And yes, I still think they're all three. Those guys are high level prospects, but there's only so much blind support and love you can give because we're going to go into next off season. I mean, next season, completely blind. I don't think Trey Lance is getting on the field again this year. I don't think it's going to get better for Trevor Lawrence in the last couple of weeks of the season. And I don't know what it's going to be for Justin Fields or how much he's even going to play. And they're probably looking at a major coaching regime change. And maybe that's probably a very good thing for him. But who knows? Who knows what the next coach thinks of Justin Fields, right? I'm not saying they're going to get rid of him or anything, but you don't know. There's going to be a lot of X factors with all of these guys. You're gonna be a lot of blind support and love if you're gonna keep them high in your rankings, or you're gonna to have to adjust. Paul, so,
1: I don't want—I don't want to interrupt you, but I want yeah. to ask you then right now. Out of the three quarterbacks you just mentioned—Lance, Fields, Lawrence—who are you willing to pony up for?
0: I know it's crazy to say this. I know it's crazy to say this, but at this point, because I don't have anything else to go by, I think I'm gonna buy the ecosystem, the structure, and scheme of Kyle Shanahan and say maybe he just knows the land is not ready yet and he always knew he was going to be a year away. So I think I'd buy that just because I know when he gets in there, I won't have questions about scheme. I won't have questions about ecosystem. I'll know that there's going to be a strong run game. I know that George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are there. So I think right now, as crazy as it is, even though he's barely stepped on the football field, and when he has, it's been very ho-hum, inconsistent at the NFL, I think Trey Lance is the guy that I I would probably rank higher than the other two right now because it would more be the blind hope and fate of buying the ecosystem that San Francisco has and the coach and the scheme relative to the unknown of Chicago and who's going to be next there. And are they really going to run it back in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer after the disaster that was this year? I don't know if, if the owner is going to be ready to, to fire that and pay off that contract for Urban Meyer to either go back to the NFL or, I mean, go back to college or go to the studio booth or whatever. I'm not sure. And then if you, and then if you have two years of this debacle or three years of this debacle, do you break Trevor Lawrence for, for life? Does he become a guy that we say what well, could have been if he went somewhere else? I don't know. So to so my, my my right now my gut feeling would say by Kyle Shanahan, his offense, his scheme, the system that San Francisco has over the unknowns of what's to come in Jacksonville down the line and what's to come in Chicago.
1: I completely agree. I, I can't believe I'm saying that. I completely agree. I think there is that flame that burns bright for Justin Fields. It's hard for me to kind of leave him on the sideline. But I think that the more and more we know about what constitutes outstanding performance on the field, the more and more you realize it has more to do with the environment, the players interacting and and working with than it does necessarily with their own physical capabilities, because we can't ignore it. You can't ignore it any longer. And if you have ignored it, in any way, I think that the quarterbacks we just spoke about tonight are an absolute reason to rethink that logic. Yeah, for sure. So
0: let's round out the night with a real quick Dynasty fantasy report. Uh, three players I want to bring up, Matt, and, and a couple of them are one of them close to your heart, another one no. a guy I know you're going to have some thoughts on. The three guys I want to talk about, I got a, I got two wide receivers and a running back. Let's start with, with, with uh, Leonard Fournette because, man, what an interesting – dynamic and career this guy's had already, right? A very high pick right out of the draft, solid rookie year, but never, not living up to maybe the hype, eventually sours the Jacksonville team and they cut bait with him because, well, he played and put up okay stats. It wasn't game-changing. It wasn't difference-making stats. He was sounded like he was a headache in the locker room. And then he's on the scrap heap and people are wondering, is Leonard Fournette's basically NFL career on the, on the verge of being done? Nobody wanted him because he didn't seem like he fit the, the modern day NFL. Tampa Bay scoops him up after they get Tom Brady and a bunch of other things kind of fall his way. And he starts, he performs pretty solidly last year for them. And then this year now he's become the guy, like a true bell cow. Like, playing on most receiving downs, running the most routes of any of the running backs on the team, handling all the short yardage and goal line work for the most part. The early down runner, Brady doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. I don't know. This guy went from... Once upon a time, RB1, then maybe not RB1, but RB2 to then bottom in a scrap heap, not even worthy of a roster spot at one point to then working his way back up to maybe like an RB4, 5. And then last year, RB3, here or there, 3, 4. And then this year, most people thought, eh, RB3, RB4 type, right? Who's going to... And now he's going to finish the year as an RB1 and... Is he going to be a first-round pick in, rookie, in, in in redraft next year? Second-round pick? You know, I don't know how to make sense of him in the dynasty world going into this offseason because we know running backs are so up and down and so quick, you know, but he really seems to have found the home there. And as long as Brady's there, I think Fournette's going to be the guy with him for for another few years. A LaVisca Chenault, we talked about Jacksonville and, and Trevor Lawrence being broken. Are we ready to kind of call it him a bust? Or are we ready to kind of say it's still partially his fault, but partially them not knowing what to do with him and the environment is holding him back and making him look so bad that even on a team that is devoid of playmakers and receivers, he can't stand out and be anything more than a guy who catches a couple passes a week. And last but not least, and this is the one, you know, butterflies going off for you is we've gotten to the point now where I think we got to start looking at Hunter Renfro in a similar light to how he looked at guys like Julian Edelman and you know that world where I think he's going to be a guy who can catch 90 to 100 passes and that is PPR gold that is PPR gold so when, when you look at this I think he's been devalued because everyone kind of just thinks like, oh, it's going to go away. He's only getting better. He's only getting better. And no, he's not a true alpha number one wide receiver. Neither was Wes Welker. Neither was Julian Edelman. But all he does is get open. He's going to be a guy that I don't think is still being valued. Right. In the dynasty circles, you play in PPR. Hunter Renfro might be a PPR wide receiver, two high end wide receiver, three for the next five to seven years, catching 90 to 105 passes a year. I think that's where this is headed. Even if they get a true alpha number one wide receiver at some point, I still think he could be a guy that catches 90 to 100 passes. He's not being valued like that in dynasty circles. I don't have him like that in my own rankings. When I do my updated rankings sooner rather than later, Hunter Renfro is going to skyrocket and at least be in consideration to be a wider in the wide receiver remix, if not high wide receiver remix, because we got to start valuing him now. As this is a guy who's going to probably catch 90 to 100 passes a season.
1: Yeah. Well, the substitute teacher, as they call him, (laughs) is showing out well. I always like the body comparison picks where they did a. There was somebody put out a, a, a tweet where it was like the picture, the classic picture of AJ Brown and DK Metcalf when they were all rocked up, kind of going into the draft. And somebody caught like I guess a shot of of Hunter, um, get, getting ready for the combine, and he was in like a t shirt, and it was just you know, I mean, you're talking about physical specimens, you're talking about two completely different human beings, right? You know, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and then Hunter Renfro, they, they couldn't be on diametrically different sides of the physical specimen spectrum than you could possibly imagine. But that wasn't what made him a great receiver at Clemson. It was because he played nine years there. No, no, he <laughs> didn't. No, he played. He played he got, for a he l- got his
0: doctorate degree. Yeah, he got his
1: doctorate at Clemson. And that was one of the marks against him, too, if you remember, too. A lot of people actually nicked him for that. Um but I think what made Hunter so good and why we liked him here at Saturday to Sunday was because the man knew how to get open no matter what he knew how to get open. And he was the one who constantly showed it, uh, showed no compunction or respect for his own body. He was laying out, throwing his body left, throwing his body, right. In fact, um, good friend of the show, Sean Mishka movement Miyagi um, on Twitter who, you know, came on for many a summer seminar has done more than one mover of the week episode on Mr. Renfro because of the type of movement skill he's showing even at the NFL level. So Hunter Renfro was a guy that we had absurdly high and it was a huge question mark for people. And you know what? There's a pat on the back for us. Congratulations to me on that one. And congratulations to Paul on that one. But I'm also, i got to take an L where the L is too. What do we do with Brian Edwards? Because I'm going to tell you that for every great day, there's a day that I'm bringing up somebody that we got to think about. Like, what do we do with Brian Edwards? What do we think about Donovan people Jones? I mean, these are guys that I'm not telling you, I haven't been pounding the table for, for everybody to pick up. I still own them. Like I always say, I always give you the advice that I take. I still own them and I don't know what to do with them. How much longer do you hold? You know, I'm 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 going to hold at least through the beginning of next year for both of them for sure, just to see how the dust settles and where things may go. Um, but there's one that's not really turning out too much in the way I thought it would be. So, so uh, you know, a, a, a W there for us and then, you know, two L's in my loss column. I, you know, you take it where you can get it. But I, I think to your point, Paul, with the other two players that you brought up, let's go to Leonard Fournette first. I think it's very smart to say that you, you take him and tether him to Tom Brady. And I think it's a very smart way to look at what he's doing. I think in the absence of Tom Brady, in the absence of a player like Brady, who's going to see those opportunities for him at the line of scrimmage, call those audibles when the particular defensive set is in the right position for him to be successful. I again, I'm not devaluing what Leonard brings, but I'm also saying let's not completely separate his success from Tom Brady because, you know, he's changing the play at the line of scrimmage, right? He's changing the play at the line of scrimmage as the defense is offering something to him. So knowing that in advance, I think that Leonard Fournette will continue to be, as long as Tom's there, a very functional player. I don't know if I would really put him in that caliber where I'm – feeling comfortable with him as my 1A back on any team in redraft. But as my 1B back, I'd be very happy with that. But not my one I, 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 I don't, I'd be still a little weary. But then again, where do you go with 1A after this? You go on Christian McCaffrey? You got to be concerned there too. So, I mean, I'm just saying I, I'd still be a little weary. Uh, I and still I will think he, say this.
0: I'll, you know? I'll say this and just jump in. If you own him in Dynasty and you don't think you can legitimately win this year and or next year – I'm okay selling him at his absolute because right now Leonard Fournette's value is basically as high as it was maybe when he was drafted or his rookie year. Well, 2019, Paul. Right now is the peak value for Leonard Fournette. Besides when he was first drafted, right, and he was a top three rookie draft pick or whatever, and he had a good rookie year statistically. Like besides like that first eighteen months or so in the NFL. Leonard Fournette's value right now in Dynasty is as high as it's been since. So if you're not trying to win right now, if, if trading is even still open in your league or once the offseason hits, like if you don't think you are legitimately could win next year and you're a Leonard Fournette owner, I'm okay selling him at, at, at his peak right now because I do think the shelf life is short for him being this high level of an impact player. So sorry to cut you off, but I no, to no, kind of
1: no, 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 no. And I, it. and I would just, I actually have very little left to say other than to Laviska Chenault. I'm still willing to, I'm again, I don't think you can get rid of him because I, I think, what do you do? What do you, where do you go with a player of that of that skill set? Like what are you supposed to do with him? Like it's like Kadarius Toney, right? We were talking about it. it's like Christian McCaffrey on different levels, of course, in terms of what they will garner in terms of value in return for trading them. But what I'm saying is is that the perceived value and the actual value, and then the potential value given the talent or skill set, you're just not gonna get what you think they're worth. So I mean What do you do with those guys? I think you hold them. Obviously, Kadarius, Tony, you're holding. You're not doing anything abandoning him. I mean, the Giants are in flux. We can see that already. You know where his goal and where he ends up is fine. We know that that's something to invest in. Christian McCaffrey, right? You trade him now, you know you're going to be taking a hit, right? Same thing with LaVisca Chennault. You trade him, you're lucky if you get pennies on the dollar based on what he's done this year compared to where we thought he could go. I, I think you got to hold these guys. So, I mean, in terms of their rankings, yeah, LaVisca Chenault's going to take a hit, but I don't think it's by his doing. I also think it has a lot to do with the situations and opportunities around him. Well, he's got the quarterback, man. How can you say that? I know he's got the quarterback, but he doesn't have – he has a quarterback that is struggling in that offense too. So, I mean, the whole team is struggling. So I think you got to you gotta take value. This is not like Elijah Moore who's doing well despite what's going on. The Jets have made a concerted effort to feed Elijah the ball. You have not seen any indication of that in Jacksonville and what they've been doing. This was the year he was supposed to be fed, fed the ball, and now it looks like they're, especially with Etienne out, everything was pointing to him being fed the ball, and they're just like, no, 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 thanks. You know what? do me a favor and run an out route
0: yeah the the, the usage the usage that the the way they've used him in 2 years is just mind boggling he should be utilized and this is what we knew from day 1 we didn't know if he was ever going to become a good route runner i i i always yeah. had my i always had legitimate question marks about that absolutely but there's no reason why he shouldn't be being used the same way san francisco uses debo samuel give him six handoffs a game Give him six jet sweeps. Give him two screen passes. Get him in space. LaVisca Chennault's bread and butter in college was yak after the yeah. catch. Yeah. Get him the ball in space. Get him the ball on screens. Get him the ball on quick slants. Get him the ball on jet sweeps. Get him the ball on touch passes. Run wildcat. Do what you have to do to get that man in space because he's a physical freak with the ball in his hands. And they just have not utilized that. So, yeah. I'm an owner of him in multiple spots and I'm just kind of hoping for the best and not selling, but just hoping that something clicks and give him another year and kind of wait and see. But, you know, at some point, right. Like you got to start performing and, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a different regime in Jacksonville next year. So, you know, they're going to probably upgrade different things. Is it just, is he just going to get pushed down, you know the wide receiver depth chart even more if he wasn't if he wasn't really utilized this year. I, I don't have a lot of hope for him right now in that scheme. So I'll just kind of hold. He's a guy who I don't think I'll go buy because I just think there's too many question marks. And DJ Shark comes back, and what if they go out and get some receivers? Like, do they just do they just not think he can be a good player? I I, I thought he was going to be. I thought he's shown some glimpses in his rookie year, but this year they've been very few and far between the usage has been weird. The production has been bad, everything about it. Uh, it's it's just been bizarre. And I think, again, it goes back to valuing the ecosystem and, and the environment that these young players are put in because it really does tremendously impact how quickly they transition to the NFL game. If they ever transition to the NFL game, how well are their skills maximized at the NFL game. It really depends a lot on, on the surrounding environment and the supporting cast and the coaches to really develop and, and build these guys up.
1: Well, and I, I want to leave it here because I know we're getting a little late and I don't want to belabor this point. Everybody. And we said this earlier, if everybody should be doing a case study on the bills and the way they kind of develop Josh Allen in terms of quarterbacks, everybody should be taking a look at Atlanta film and thinking about how they retooled and reused Cordero Patterson. Because you look at a guy like LaVisca Chennault, and you look at a guy like Kadarius Toney, and you can see a world where the game plans and the ideas that sparked the use of Cordero Patterson, nay, (laughs) the resurgence of Cordero Patterson as, what did he end up with, Paul, as what, RB? Was he like a top 10 running back? this year yeah Cordero Patterson
0: yeah Yeah. I mean he's on the way to finishing in the
1: top 10 easily yeah so and and I'm sorry (laughs) wide receiver out of Clemson retooled as a running back well because he had a very thick frame very much like the LaVisca Chennault's of the world and he just couldn't he wasn't making it work at wide receiver what does Atlanta do they strike genius I'm telling you the Atlanta Falcons and what they did with Cordero Patterson might be one of the most interesting developments in player usage that we've seen in the last three to five years. And that's a bold statement, but imagine the value from a contract money standpoint where you could say, sure, you're going to throw a guy like LaVisca on the scrap heap or you're going to trade him pennies on the dollar. We'll take him and we'll make him our scat back. Yeah. Why am I going to draft it? Why am I going to draft a Kenneth Gainwell just to just to pick a guy? And I'm not really pointing to him or On Ely, where I can get almost nothing, trade almost nothing for Laviska, and I can do the same thing with him. Yeah, just because I mean, look, Atlanta gave you the blueprint. They gave you the blueprint.
0: Yeah, listen. What what they've done, and think about how many teams he bounced around, right? And some teams yeah. would try to get him in and utilize him a little bit, but they never really committed to him as building an offense and him being a focal point until this year. And whether it happened by accident, you know, which I, I got to believe it kind of did. But regardless, they saw it working, and they decided that we have to go all in. And listen, we've seen Debo Samuel have like a seven carry game this year also for San Francisco. That's right. You know, like we said, positionless football is basically here and it's not going away. And, and the more, more you the more you can do, the more valuable you are. It's why, like the hopes of while we didn't agree with the Saquon Barkley pick in terms of what the Giants should have done, we still could understood if you were going to build an offense and make him an offensive weapon in all capacities. And it looked like after his rookie year that that was going to be the case, right? 90 catches, Mm -hmm. you know, we looked like he was going to be that. Just like Christian McCaffrey, has the value he brings to Carolina is immense because he's not just a running back. He's the focal point of the entire offense built around him in the pass and the run game. That's what we thought Saquon Barkley was going to be for the Giants. It hasn't materialized. I'm not sure if it's ever going to materialize. Maybe he just can't be that guy that we thought. Maybe the Giants can't get it out of him. I'm not sure. Those are both legitimate questions. Uh, but when you when you have a guy you can do a lot with in terms of a running back slash wide receiver, and it's amazing what Atlanta's gotten out of Cordell Patterson. So there it is, guys. Dynasty report for this week. NFL rookie report. We talked about Bryce Young in the Devi slant report we talked a lot about some of the prospects in the 2022 NFL draft report. If you're enjoying this, please get over to the website. SS football is the best way to reach the site. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all our premium notebooks. The scouting notebook is going to have a tremendous amount of updates. It's already got like 80 prospects, detailed write-ups of guys. I already know all the guys we did on the last deep dive, Kenny Pickett, Jameson Williams, the uh, Kenneth Walker, they're all going to be added. They're ready to go. I just got to make it go live on those guys. And then we're going to do more deep dives coming up. we already talked about Zach Charbonnet and Jerome Ford. They're going to be added. I'll go in. I'll watch more film from this year. I'll update the guys that are in there. That's going to have close to 90 to 100 prospects by the time it's all said and done. We get the rankings notebook. It has all our different rankings. Draft eligible. Devy dynasty rookie rankings. Overall dynasty rankings. It'll have our rookie tiers. It'll have our next year's dynasty rookie rankings all in that, and then you get the draft projections notebook in April with all tabs for every position, offense and defense, projecting how it is going to go, snapshot of who the player is. So, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, on behalf of Jeff, who couldn't join us this evening, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.